Welcome to the Disinfo Hacks podcast. Disinfo Hacks is an innovative training program that aims to train communication and media stakeholders and influencers on how to identify and combat disinformation, one of the greatest challenges that modern societies are facing currently. Hello and welcome to another episode of Disinfo Hacks. Have we got news for you? I am your hostess, Aura, and this awesome program is brought to you by DCN Global in partnership with AD and PR Lab and YET Organization. It's funded by the U.S. Mission in Greece and supported by Foundation and Social Innov Organizations. And today I'm really excited because we have an incredible guest with us today. We have Professor Aphrodite Silas, um, Silas, sorry, and uh, she's a journalist and professor at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. And her most recent work is a short documentary and multimedia collaboration with Canadian television uh, called From Shore to Sky, A Reconciliation Story. Now, as usual, her uh, bio, as with all of our guests, her bio is incredibly impressive, but I am going to do what I always do, and I'm going to welcome you, Professor Salas, and ask you, how would you like the listeners to remember you? Oh, that's a really uh, immediately right to the point question to begin, isn't that (laughs) Like, wow, Okay. How would I like uh, the listeners to remember me? I think I would, I would, um, I think, I hope that people understand that there are many different ways of doing journalism. And I am uh, trying to encourage a slower approach, especially to building relationships of trust over a period of time. I think journalism got very fast over many, many years for many different reasons. And now um, the type of work that I do is really taking things down a notch in order to to just slow down. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I like that. Um, so how do we how do we phrase that? She is the master of slow journalism. I don't know, how do we? <laughs> we need- <Slow>. we... <laughs> Intentional, contextual. Intentional. Let's, mm. so, Right. Um, and building bridges, building relationships. I'm not sure. It's really hard to boil down sometimes, but I think uh, it's necessary, of course. But uh, yeah, something I think that that would be it. Building trust, building trust and uh, and taking things slow. That is amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on our show today. Thank I you. know you are you're calling in from. Um, from Thesum, the Thessaloniki International Summer Media Academy, uh, currently happening in Thessaloniki. Um, how is that going? Maybe, maybe if we could, because the whole purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to hack disinformation. And I know you had a a great talk. Um, I think it was today, actually. Well, at the time that we've recorded this podcast, and I would love to know just maybe a little bit around your your feelings initially, just your feelings about Thesum this year. And maybe touch a bit on, you know, what you spoke about your presentation during Thesum this year. Yes, Thesum is really uh, quite an impressive program uh, created by Professor Nikos Panayotou here at Aristotle University. It's really amazing because the diversity of students who come, I mean, there's a, a student from the Ukraine, a student from Russia, there are students from 
Canada. There are students from Slovenia, from Germany, uh, from China, from India, from all over. And just to have, and it's, but it's not a very, it's not a huge group. So the composition of the group I find to be quite interesting and the breadth of topics. Um, scholars are here from around the world as uh, speaking on all kinds of issues. My own topic was really about what I mentioned earlier, building trust and moving away from extractive journalism. Um, that's, you know, extractive. I talked a little bit about that. What does extractive journalism mean? If you think it sounds like a root canal, you're kind of on the right track, right? Um, extractive being the practice of journalists parachuting into a place, taking what they think is valuable and leaving, right? This is, um, you know, uh, this practice, we know that this hurts communities. We know that this hurts people. Um, and I'm trying to get away from that. So my talk was about this concept of um, building trust, like I said, but taking your time before you even go to a community as a journalist to take your time to learn about the community, learn about the context and build actual relationships before you even set foot in a place to show that your relationship to this place and to the stories that people will share with you is intentional. Um, what I what I use to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about is uh, a project that I recently finished, but that is ongoing in the Arctic region of Canada in Nunavik, um, a community, an Inuit community that is doing incredible climate work. These people have been using diesel energy uh, for for decades, and it's we know it it pollutes. We know it can be harmful to people's health. Uh, we know that diesel as a sort as the sole source of energy for a community is bad and this community decided to go 100% renewable if you can imagine this is like pivotal and build a hydro project so i headed up to arctic quebec after 2 years of building relationships with leaders in the community and together we collaboratively created um a documentary and multimedia project uh, that that I'm really proud about, and I think that that my partners there would say the same thing. Um, and it's on Canadian television. It's, it's uh, if you Google Inukshuak, I N U J U A K, and CTV, it'll pop right up. And I can also share it with you if you'd like to post it along with the podcast. Yes, please. That is that is incredible. Um, you know, it's it's something you've something you've said. Um, and that seems to be a running theme. I know we haven't been on air long, but you know, you you talk a lot about relationship building um, as a tool to build trust. Yeah. And you mentioned like so running up to this documentary, you know, it was two years of relationship building in this age of fast news, right? Because we are, I feel like, in, in an age where information is literally at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. If it's not on some social media platform, it's basically we've also almost got conveyor belt journalism happening, which I think links very much to the concept of extractive journalism. How do you build trust in a short amount of time when there is no time? Mm -hmm. How do journalists build trust when there's no time? I mean, that's see, and that's, look, there's a lot of different kinds of journalism, right? So breaking news requires uh, very fast response, for example. Um, and I think one thing that journalists can do to build trust in a short amount of time is give agency to the people that you're speaking with. So even if you are only there for a very short period of time, uh, make sure that there's a way that you can 
Like, is there a way you can contact the person? Can you discuss what is appropriate to share? One nuance that, that I kind of insist upon when talking about this type of work is that I don't call myself a storyteller. I, I share stories with permission. This is, and this, you know, mindset, even just shifting that into your mind can help uh, as a journalist, the way you approach things. So, you know, I'll ask for permission. Can I share this story? So I share the story. I don't, I don't tell somebody's story. I share the story with permission. So that, that might be something small that journalists can do in an effort to build trust is just make that, that um, distinction in your mind about how you're approaching your work. It is very difficult. And like I said, there's many different kinds of journalism, many different ways to do journalism. This is, this is one of them. This is what I love to do and what I'm really working on. Um, but, uh, but that mindset might help. That makes a lot of sense. So what, in, with, with your approach, what do you think is the relationship between managing disinformation in general? Mm-hmm. Um, because also the assumption is that, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to play devil's advocate today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not normally this way, but for the purpose of the, of the conversation, how do you know, even that the story that's being shared that you're sharing with permission is completely true like humans make error so how do we how 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 what is the relationship between your approach to journalism and the style of journalism that you're speaking of and managing disinformation in particular right i just to use an example for this from this the just the story that we shared recently on anukshuat uh, there were two short documentaries we created one on the climate leadership but the other one is called Simeone Nalukchuruk in his own words, where a community elder talked about the abuse and trauma his community faced, um, the Canadian government policy of residential schools, taking children from their parents and sending them far away to quote unquote schools where we know abuse was rampant um, and that children were killed. We know this, there's been a commission on this. Um, you know, you can fact check it very easily. Um, and then pairing that with, right. So so what we have Simeone, who's, who was actually a survivor of a residential school, who also his own experience, there was another policy where Inuit sled dogs were killed uh, in, in the 50s and 60s, um, the government says, well, the government, there was also a commission on that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, many Inuit felt that it was to keep them in one place, they're nomadic people, and by killing their dogs, they weren't able to move around. Um, and the commission uh, suggested that it was in part because there was a feeling that the dogs were sick or would spread disease. I mean, these are all things that we we cover. So, uh, you know, in terms of fact checking or making sure the story is true, um, you know, that you, you just do it as, as you would on any other story. Um, make sure that you can verify, fact check, uh, double source, triple source, the facts, right? I think it's more in the way that we do our jobs um, that that's kind of where my area uh, of focus is. It's in the execution of the journalism, the methodology, how you're going about doing the interviews, sharing the stories, 
framing the stories, um, uh, you know, framing in a non-conflict narrative, if possible. Um, but of course, always in consultation uh, with the community. Okay. I have I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have so many questions. Um, but I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. And I wanna I wanna come back to um the issue around extractive journalism, mm. the issue of swooping in, basically swooping in, get your story, swoop out. Right. Um, could we could we unpack that a little bit more? Because I know you, you described it in one sentence, but I don't think I don't this is for me probably one of the first times I've heard that phrase around extractive journalism and how can a young journalist sort of examine themselves and make sure that they're not being maybe they don't want to impose or they're like okay well I got kind of got what I need and I'm not really relevant here anymore how can we unpack extractive journalism a little bit more for someone who's just coming into the space a student who wants to be a really great journalist and wants to be efficient and effective mm -hmm. can you unpack it a bit more for me yeah thank you for the question I think you know, it's really important to consider relationships uh, as a journalist. And if you think about, I mean, just put yourself in the position of someone suffering some sort of trauma or someone, you know, sharing their story with you, how would it feel to have a total stranger come up to you, ask you how you're feeling on what might be the worst day of your life? Um, you know, you give them two minutes you know, they, or they talk to you for two minutes and then they disappear. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're all over the internet and only a fraction of what you said um, is, is, is without context is out there. I mean, that's uh, an example that's of, of extractive journalism. And that's what I think and what I know to be very damaging. Um, you know, it's in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Canada in 2015, there was a final report and that it was began as um, an inquiry into the missing and murdered Indigenous women, but it then became expanded into all kinds of other issues about how Indigenous people have been treated by the Canadian government for so many decades and, and just the history of that. And the commission final report had an entire section on journalism and the media and the considerable damage that was done to communities by this type of reporting, w reporting without context, reporting, you know, just going in and leaving, not building those relationships because inevitably what happens uh, or what happened in Canada, at least um, documented is that the stories would always be, you know, these stereotypical negative stories um, that were devoid of kind of the context that was necessary to illustrate whatever problem was happening at the time. Um, so that, so we know this does damage uh, and it doesn't require too much to actually see that, that that's a problem. This, this problem of, like I said, going in and, you know, you, if we think about it, you know the examples, flying into somewhere far away from where you're from, uh, or even down the street, just not anything that you would be related to. Finding somebody, talking to them, taking taking an interview, taking a photo with or without permission, and then never to be seen again. And and 
and taking without giving any agency to the people who you're interviewing. And then even worse, you know, going off and then winning some awards, right? Or something like right. that. It, it's just, the whole thing is just so unpalatable. Um, and, but that's what a lot of journalism, that's a lot of how it was done for so many years. It's like, even I remember at the beginning days of, of the war, in Ukraine, there was a whole kind of cascade of, of people doing exactly that, you know, flying in for a month, uh, yeah. calling themselves foreign correspondents, taking and then leaving, like almost tourism journalism, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's very delicate and it's a tough thing to talk about, but I think we have to recognize that this causes damage, um, that you need to build relationships with intention and care in order to responsibly share stories. So if you can't do that, I think I think as a journalist or as a journalism student, you have to consider, you know, what is it that you're doing? A lot of journalism students get into journalism because they want to help people. That's what I hear all the time from my students, that they want to become journalists because they care about society, because they care about building a better world, um, you know, giving voices to the voiceless. This We hear this, we know this. These are traits of people who want to be journalists, but the way we do that job really matters. Um, and that, and that's kind of the space where I'm in. You know, it's interesting how, you know, right now what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but I can't help but wonder, especially now with technology and in the age of social media, we have a lot more citizen journalists, even people who don't necessarily identify as a citizen journalists, but they practice citizen journalism. So while there are mechanisms in formal structures to, you know, educate and teach good journalistic practices, how do we, how do we translate? What do you think would be the best approach now in the public space? Like people who aren't within formal structures or institutions, how do we um, educate the public how do we hack the public <laughs> that is not necessarily, you know, operating within any uh, the confines of ethics, for example? How mm. do we how do we tackle that? Well, I can tell you my approach just for the work that I've been doing is I had an entire section on the multimedia website to explain the way we did the journalism. Um, and and, you know, maybe people would read it, maybe people won't, but it's the effort like i can i can work to train the students who are working with me other journalists working with me hopefully the message will transmit but it's difficult uh for 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 me to to imagine how i might i mean you know it's <laughs> i don't know what i don't yeah. know about about teaching others who are not journalists um i think the message though is a good one whether you're a journalist or consider yourself a journalist or not. And the message is, you know, just to be, to use more, more care, to build trust and really understand that when you're sharing other people's stories, it, it, you must take great care. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I know I throw, I threw you to the dogs with that question, but it's right. just something I think. <laughs> it's I, something. I appreciate it. Right. It, it, it is an important conversation because so much of um, more, more so than before, so much of the information we consume about what's happening in the world um, is 
is not coming from formal structures. It's not coming from traditional journalists or traditional media. We um, we live in an age where we we listen to our peers more than what's on the news. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's it's definitely something we need to to ponder on. Um, in Africa, well, in the southern part of Africa, we call it Ubuntu. Um, the ability to to put yourself basically in somebody else's shoes and understand that we're all we're all one community. So whatever action I take uh, has a direct impact on those around me and a long lasting impact. But you know, then thinking of how do we take such a concept of just having more care and doing more due diligence in terms of caring about other people and the impact that our stories have, um, and translating that on a mass scale, I think is is really really difficult, and. Um, I want to pull you away a little bit from your your core focus as a professor and pick your brain a little bit around what do you think of just your personal thoughts on um, tools like artificial intelligence, for example, AI, mm. um, and how and how it has really begun to influence journalism and also kind of promoted a little bit of laziness as well amongst uh journalists what what's just your take on that on ai in the current space of media i think we're still learning about where it might be useful and how it could be dangerous um there's been a lot of discussion here at thesam about ai and journalism that i found super interesting um one thing in particular there was a recent study done by associated press and they've got some test newsrooms in the united states where they're running pilot projects on how best to apply journalism in newsrooms. And I think before I heard about that uh, study and those pilot projects, I think I was kind of highly alarmed at, at the kind of at what AI could do to the field. I think I'm still, mm-hmm. you know, worried like many of us, um, could it take our jobs? That's what a lot of people kind of tend to discuss in these spaces. Um, and there seem to be a few camps around that. But when when I started to understand the applic- the possible applications, I was like, okay, all right, this is this can be interesting. For example, the one that I kind of just like to use as an example is this test case that AP um, was is doing right now, currently in a newsroom in the United States where they're using AI to determine um, from a story pitch line, what stories the station should pursue, what stories are not stories that they won't pursue and what stories might be worth investigating. And they're training the AI to kind of assess the incoming emails just to kind of triage the emails that the assignment editor um, receives. And I, so I think it's it's interesting. And I really want to see what comes of that study because having been an assignment editor myself, I know that we get a deluge of emails all the time and it can be difficult because stories fall through the cracks. You don't want stories to fall through the cracks. So could AI help with that? Possibly. That's what AP is investigating um, on one of their case studies. And I think, so that's the thing. I, I actually... I'm quite heartened by the fact that, um, you know, this huge organization and many other organizations are currently experimenting with applications of AI to see how it could be useful and help make journalism better. Um, uh, but, but also allowing for the fact that we just don't know at this point. 
how things are going to go. Right. But I find, I find right. that, that I was a little comforted. So that would be my answer. I think considering all the different conversations that are happening, I think um, that uh, initially I was thinking, oh my God, this is going to be the end of the world. But then, <laughs> <laughs> right? but then as people were talking, I'm like, okay, all right, maybe I could be persuaded into seeing how we might be able to use AI to make it, to make it better. I'm still, but the jury's out. I'm still not sure. <laughs> I'm still wearing my tinfoil hat. So <laughs> <laughs> I still, I still disable theory on my phone. So yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I totally, totally hear you. Um, so, so you're, you're not alone. You're, you're not standing alone on that. And I, I, I really appreciate the, the perspective that you've shared. And I'm, I, I'm sure the listener does as well in terms of just knowing how people are trying to use the tool positively, because yeah, you're right that right now, a lot of information about AI is very, very scary. It's very doom and gloom. And, oh, I think every other Every other post you see about AI is it's now too super super intelligent and it's going to take over the world and right. we're going to die. Right, so, right. <laughs> I mean, maybe it will. I don't know. It's all very scary. No, really, it is. It's 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 scary, absolutely. Mm. Um, but I've been able to kind of open my mind and my perspective a little bit to hear about mm. the kinds of research going on, and for that, I, you know, I'm I'm, I, th- I feel like there's a lot of interesting work happening in the area. Absolutely. Fantastic. We are almost at the end. Gosh, time flies when you're having a good time. Um, we've got about just, just about five minutes left. So I would like to, um, since this is semi, forgive me listeners, a semi thesum uh, themed episode, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would like to know what was your, um, if you've had any um, other other talks that have happened during thesum that maybe, or discussions maybe that you've had um, that have really stood out to you that you think people should should know that you sit there and you listen you think you know more people should actually know about this is there is there something that you've learned at Thesum like mm-hmm. that oh there's been so much there's really been so much I think just in terms of the scholars um Dimitri Buras who's an amazing photojournalist uh documentary filmmaker um, and I think he's also, he's a fellow at Cambridge. Uh, he made an incredible, uh, presentation yesterday, uh, talking about, uh, just the role of the photojournalist in crisis situations, uh, when covering mass atrocities and just this perspective, um, he quoted a number of different people, but he used one analogy of the little prints. He said it should be compulsory reading for any journalism student. This, the little prints, you know, by um, by uh, Saint Exupéry, and just saying that this concept of taming the flower, if you recall the story, uh, which is very similar, not similar, but related to what I'm saying in terms of building trust. Um, I've, I've very much appreciated his perspective and just um, noting that uh, that care and intent is very important in the process of journalism. Um, his, his presentation was really, really fantastic. Uh, and others too, uh, Sherry Hope Culver from Temple University in the United States talked about media literacy and children. And I found that fascinating. And I learned a lot about what's going on um, in terms of thinking about how media affects children 
so that was really something that I'll take away. Absolutely. Um, just scholars from all over the world. I think I also brought two current students from Concordia University in Montreal with me to Thesam. They're getting some course credit because I created a course for them. Wow. And yeah, and I think that that too, like I think it, it, part of the education here isn't only about what people speaking about, but it's also about seeing and hearing uh, from people who come from all over the world, uh, different lecture styles, different messages, and, you know, culturally being in another country that we're suffering in a heat wave right now, you know, all of it is such an <laughs> educational experience, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think on uh, packet, like the whole thing all together uh, has been an extraordinary experience. Thank you so much for sharing, um, sharing your les- the lessons that you've learned. And I think, um, I think it's safe to say that this was a very insightful conversation. And um, I'll say the take homes are definitely around understanding your style of journalism. If you're, if you're, if you're a journalist and you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, how do I build better trust? Put people first. I think putting people a very human centered approach, um, sharing a story with permission rather than being a storyteller. That was really profound. Um, understanding extractive journalism, don't just swoop in and swoop out and like, don't not care. Um, and I think, I think your, your approach is really, really fascinating. And I, I'm looking forward to including the link to this particular, um, the documentary that you mentioned, um, about Arctic Canada and, um, the Inuit, it's Inuit people. Yes. Correct. Am I correct? Inuit, Inuit, just Inuit. Inuit. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, I think it's going to be really insightful for the listeners who are listening. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're in the middle of a heat wave and you were in between everything happening at the December. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise and your insight with us on this podcast today. Thank you. Or it was an honor to be invited really, truly. Thank you so much. So you heard it for yourself listeners. That was professor Aphrodite Salas. And um, she is going to be, at Thesum for this week, if you're listening and if you're there, so please pop over and say hello. Um, if not, you can follow all her links and follow her on social media, which you'll see in the comments below. And as I mentioned, this is the Disinfo Hacks podcast. Have we got news for you? This program is brought to you by DCN Global in partnership with AD and PR Lab and YET. And it's funded by the US Mission in Greece and supported by foundation and social innov organizations. And you can follow us on all our social media platforms. Please do comment your thoughts. What do you think about what uh, Professor Salas had to say? And what's your style of journalism? How would you describe it? And what is your approach to building trust and building relationships? And how do you think that impacts the problem that is disinformation, the growing problem? And what are you going to do to change that, not just in your own practice, but within your community? We really want to hear from you. And also we want to hear your suggestions on what else you'd like to hear on this podcast. It has been such a pleasure to be with you today. My name is Aura and until next time, goodbye. The Disinfo Hacks podcast is produced by DCN Global ad and PR lab yet the program is funded by the U.S. Department of State and U.S. Mission in Greece and supported by Foundation and Social Innov.